Lights, camera, action. Today on Conversations with Charlie, we have the distinct pleasure to have with us today writer, director, and editor, Barry Brown. Welcome. Nice to be here, Charlie. Nice to see you. Yes, yes. And uh, uh, I think we can dig right in uh, to, to what, you're, what, what you've been up to. I, I, I want to start with just a, a question about it, of course, because you, I, I just recently screened your, your, your current uh, film that's out in, uh, it's in release, uh, Son of the South. But you've been an editor for as long as I've known you, although you started as a, as a, a director with the, the War at Home as a documentary director and then sort of made a career out of, uh, out of being an editor, uh, dipping yeah. in and out of directing. But, yeah. but um, so what, what brought about this moment just now that got you to make, uh, to decide to make Son of the South and tell me a little bit of the story of it. Clearly you're a native uh, uh, and, and had uh, a history I guess being raised in in Montgomery, where the story takes place. Yeah, my family's still there. My mother's ninety five. You know. Wow. And um, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a film I've wanted to do for a long, long time. Not an easy film to get made. Uh, wrote the script over ten years ago, and it was a matter of, of just trying to. You know, trying, trying, and trying, and trying over all these years to to get uh, other people in that would really back it. You know, and and it really came down to it. Probably came down to the Trump years where people thought we really need a movie like this, and um, you know, so so finally, finally got traction, and we got it. You know, we you know raised enough money to get it made. And, 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 and beautifully uh, and elegantly done. I, I, I literally just screened it this week and I, I was uh, absolutely blown away by, by the beautiful cinematography. And uh, yeah, gorgeous. And, and it's just- John Rosario did a great, great job. Delicious. A great young cinematographer. What a talent. What a talent. Yeah, um, a real talent. Okay, so uh, the story, I mean, of course, the voting rights era is something that I'm familiar with, I've seen. There have been other films that have been done about about voting rights, documentary and feature both with Mississippi burning and whatnot. But this is this is a very specific bio uh, story of of a, of a man who is I believe is still alive today, Bob, Bob Zellner. Yeah, Bob is still yeah yeah Bob right. lives down in Alabama. Right. So this is just a a, a, a spectacular story to capture. Um, Tell me about how it was that you came to connect. Obviously, there was a book that the screenplay is based on, but did you get to know uh, Bob? Well, I knew Bob a long, long time before he wrote the book. Oh. A long, long time. Okay. Uh, and and we, met, we met in the 80s in New York um, through his girlfriend at the time, the cinematographer, Judy Irola. Oh. And, um, you know, we're both from Alabama. And our politics are similar, and our sense of humor are similar, and you know. And you know, back in those days, he would tell me these one story after the other about about being in SNCC and the civil rights movement, uh, and they were just amazing stories, amazing, amazing stories. Um, and and so, uh, matter of fact, 
I don't know if Bob will remember this, but we were down in Bruton, Alabama, and you know, and he showed me showed me Murder Creek that runs right through Bruton, and he pointed across the, the creek uh, to, and he said, "That's East Bruton. That's where I'm. That's, that's where I'm from." I said, "So you're from the wrong side of Murder Creek." <laughs> Yeah, wow. and uh, I don't think he remembers that, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's where he got the name for the book. So um, you know, and so when I was writing the script, he was working on his book, you know, and uh, most of what's in the script really so, isn't so much from my reading of the book, but from the stories that Bob told me. I mean, there was probably things I got from reading the book as well. Yeah, a little of both. And then you you wrote, now you're saying you wrote, I mean, this is now 10 years ago that you wrote this. A little script. over, yeah. I was writing the script probably in around 2008, 2009. Right, so around this time, you're you're doing all these films and cutting all these films for Spike mm -hmm. and, 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 and finding time to, to fit that into your life. Um, yeah. Fantastic. And um, so tell me a little bit about the production of this film, there were a lot of beautiful period, uh, it's, a, it's a period story, so you have old cars. And I, I, I'm pretty close with your producer, Stan Erdreich. In fact, I, yeah. I had a chat. Well, Stan, him. I mean, really Stan, uh, without Stan, I don't think this film would be made, quite frankly. You know, uh, he raised uh, the early money for this movie right out of Alabama. You know, he's from Birmingham. Yeah. Uh, we used to call Bombingham, you know, when I was in high school. Oh, really? Okay, tell me, what, how did how did he get that name? Because of the Bombingham. Yeah. Good <laughs> yeah. place. Yeah, yeah. There was bombs that went off. Yeah. There were bombs that went you off. Know, yeah. and, and some people, some people almost referred to it naturally as Bombingham, you know, just the accent. But uh, but yeah, we used to call it Bombingham, and, uh, and and you know. Stan was just great. And, and it's, it's really wonderful that the first money came from Alabama. Because so much of the film is a Southern film. I'm from Alabama. Uh, Bob's from Alabama. Um, many of the supporting cast are from Alabama. Uh, a lot of the local crew, well, the local crew was from Alabama. Uh, Eloise Stammerjohn is, is from Montgomery, who she did the production design. And Eloise was amazing. She's so good. Um, you know, she doesn't live in Alabama. She, she works all over the world now because she's so, such a great production designer. And, you know, and Eloise just took the little bit of money we had to make this movie with and just stretched every dollar to, to get things to work. And there was never once I showed up on a set that wasn't ready to go. I don't think she slept. I don't think she slept. Unbelievable. I don't, I don't know. I do not know how she did it. And Dane, who uh, was her art director, um, also first-rate art director, uh, and, and he goes off and works wherever, you know, Eloise works, but he lives right in Montgomery. Um, so, you know, there was so much about this movie that is so Alabama-based. The story takes place in Alabama. We've shot it in Alabama. We shot in a lot of the places where, where the original events actually happened. 
you know, uh, the, the Freedom Riders riot. We shot exactly where that, where that Greyhound bus came in and where they got off the bus and, and where, where they got beaten. Uh, you know, we, we were at, we were at uh, Reverend Ralph Abernathy's church in Montgomery, you know, to shoot the scenes that actually took place in that church with Bob and Rosa Parks and Dr. Abernathy. Um, and where Rosa Parks says to Bob, something really bad is gonna happen to you right in front of you someday. And you're gonna have to uh, choose because not choosing is a choice. You're gonna have to choose a side. And, and we shot it in the very doorway that the real Rosa Parks stopped the real Bob Zellner to deliver this, this message. You know, so, um, you know, there was, it was very satisfying to, to be there, you yeah. know, to have real accents, real Southern accents. I mean, Lucas Till, he's from, uh, he's from Georgia. And Lucy Hale is from Memphis, Tennessee, you know. So, and it goes on and on, all, all the people that were, you know, homegrown, so to speak, you know. That, were, that just were so talented. Fantastic. Yeah. And, um, and so going back to your life a little bit uh, in, in Alabama, you were, your, your dad, I guess, was in the, in the Air Force. Right. And, and, um, and your mom is, is from Alabama originally. Her family is from Alabama, yeah. And my my grandfather is from Andalusia. And uh, my grandmother's from Russellville, which is up a little bit uh, near uh, Birmingham. You know? right. And then when when your when your family was when you were born in the UK, that was not a long stint, right? You were there like like it would be for the military. Yeah, exactly. And, and we've lived other places. I mean, we also lived in Mississippi, for instance, and we lived in the Panhandle of Florida, where three of my siblings were were born. You know. And some people say Florida is not really a southern state, you know? yeah. but uh, yeah. you know, the panhandle is very southern. Make no bones about it. Yes. You know, as a matter of fact, Alabama should go all the way to to the Gulf of Mexico. You right. know, that should be part of Alabama. <laughs> that really should be. Exactly. I think it's a, I think it's a crime that it is. I really do. I think we should we we should you know just take it quite frankly extract it yeah and and, and, just, and, and yeah yeah because you're you, you hit mobile and then then you got to you know sort of bang a left and you're all of a sudden and you got, you got this little strip you know it's crazy it goes down to orange beach and now uh -huh. there you go there you go so um very ambitious film to make uh, uh, the budget challenges must have been significant, unless significant, uh, significant. Yeah, you know, um, tell me a little bit about uh, uh, like some of what you had to do to, to to get through that. Well, you know, like the like the like the riot scene. I wanted I wanted a real riot. You know, uh, I mean, there has been some criticism of me for uh, doing this riot in this movie. Like it's unnecessary. I think it's very necessary. I think it's very necessary to really feel what these people really went through and not to whitewash it. And not to say, let's not, you know, let's not look at how violent this time was and what these people 
had to had to face and, and how they not only faced it, we have a scene where John Lewis is in the hospital and Bob Zellner goes to, 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 to visit him in the hospital, meets him for the very first time in the hospital. That is all true. That really did happen. You know, and Bob, who has witnessed this riot almost from the outside, even though he's run in to grab people and pull them out, you know, he was not somebody who was either beaten or beating anybody. So in a way, he could just go in and out of that riot without anybody touching him because they just thought, you know, the six foot tall, blue eyed blonde southerner is one of us. I think the rioters must have just thought that way. So he could do anything. And so he goes to the, Bob goes to the hospital and he says, well, your freedom rides is over. And, and John Lewis says, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? We're getting on that bus tomorrow. And Bob just can't believe it because he's seen what happens to people. Right. He's seen it firsthand. He knows how vicious that mob was and how, and, and he says to John Lewis, he says, he says, you know, in Georgia, when Georgia gets criticized for being backwards, uh, in Georgia, they say, thank God for Alabama. <laughs> and, and in Alabama, we say, thank God for Mississippi. And that's where they're going. They're going to Mississippi. So basically, Bob is telling John Lewis, who he assumes is not from anywhere around there, that Mississippi, as bad as Alabama was, Mississippi is going to get be worse, right? Now, John Lewis is from Troy, Alabama, uh, a, a town I knew very well in, in high school. It was 50 miles south of, of Montgomery. And I would go down to Troy a lot, you know? So, you know, I, I knew Troy. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. And, and so, and yeah. so, um, so that's why, you know, so my point about the budget was, was I really wanted to do a real riot and, a, and an upsetting riot. And one that had a lot of details in it. Cause I was also looking at other movies from the past that, you know, like the 10 best riots of all time in movies. And quite frankly, one of the only ones that I thought was any good was the one from Do the Right Thing, you know? Yeah. And that's a really good riot. Oh yeah. Um, and, and so, but I said, I'm gonna, you know, I'm not gonna fail at doing this. And uh, we had basically a day and a half to shoot that riot. That was it. Wow. Because we really had only two days in that location because of budget restraints. So we had to have a day and a half to shoot the riot, you know, from outside and inside, the, inside the juror's office looking down. And then we had to have the scene in which Bob shows up days later and uh, two days later to when the, the bus is gonna leave for Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, and so we had to shoot that scene too, uh, you know? And so, you know, it was, but we, what we did was we really choreographed it and we laid it out to, uh, to know exactly what we were doing going in there. And it had to go like this. And it was a dance, you know, and, and, and as, as vicious as it looks, you know, um, 
you know, we were still staying, we were still staying safe and, um, and we were getting everything I wanted. I still, I look at it and I still don't really know how we did it. Although the, well, there's one person who's seen the film who, who, saw, who saw that I had restraints. I don't know how he did, but it was uh, the French director Bertrand Tavernier, mm -hmm. you know, and Bertrand saw the film you know, when he liked it, he liked it. And he said the thing about uh, riot scenes that very impressive. I knew you shot that fast. Wow. <laughs> you know? but, awesome. so he, but he's the only one who's ever looked at it and could analyze what we, what we did. Oh yeah. So. Let's talk a little bit about one other aspect that I actually appreciated because I'm, you know, a huge music fan as well. And I, I really, I really enjoyed the music that you use. Talk a little bit about how you put that together, how you put together the track, composed and did what you did for music for the film. I thought it was great. Well, you know, from the get go, I did not want an orchestra for the, for this, um, for this score. You know, I really wanted, I really wanted a, a country band. Um, and there was people who I wanted to do the score originally. People who were in the business, um, people who were like in the country western side of music, mm -hmm. and um, none of that quite worked out. And I even wanted to record the music down in Muscle Shoals at that studio down there. Sure. Um, and uh, so I was sort of stuck here. I mean. I, I mean, I had the sound in my mind, uh, but nobody who we could really afford to hire, right. really, or, or this didn't work out for one other reason or another. But um, then my friend in LA, Kevin Dowling, said to me one day, I think I got the guy for you. And he said, he can do anything. And this guy named was Steven Argila. And you know, and I looked at Stephen's work, and, and yeah, it was it was pretty broad in terms of his ability to deliver, you know, uh, you know. But he had never done anything like this, um, nothing like it. But we met, and you know, I just thought, I just have to, I just have to trust he can do it. As a matter of fact, that's not completely true. I didn't completely trust he could do it. Uh, there was one section of the film that I said, can you write a piece for this? You know, and just, you know, just record it on a synthesizer or whatever, where, however you, you know, create something rough. And, and he did it, he did it really fast. I think within 48 hours, you know, it wasn't a long piece, it was a minute or so. And it was perfect. Man, it was just right. And so I thought, okay, this guy can do this, you know. Uh, you know, I think the producers were like, "But oh, wait a second, he hasn't done a score like this." I said, "I'm sorry, but you know, if somebody can do this and deliver it so fast, you know, we got to trust him." And then Stephen just—I mean—he really got what I wanted. I wanted. I wanted a band. I wanted a country band. Right on. You know, to, 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 
you know, and he brought in great musicians and I basically created his own little country band and, and, and a little studio in LA, we recorded that score and it was gorgeous. And the thing about what was really amazing was, uh, you know, he wrote out the score like anybody does, like any of these composers do. But I kind of didn't expect that, uh, you know? And the musicians he had were so good. And even though they could play that music, they could read music too, you know? And so it was kind of like amazing. And it went very fast and very smoothly. And I just think very special, really special. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, and, and that score is coming out being uh, released by Lakeshore Records. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, a, that's wonderful. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Great, great. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's wind the clock way, way, way back, speaking of music and transition back to school days. Um, you know, school days predates, I mean, I started to get, to know Spike around the time that he did uh, Clockers and Girl Six and all okay. that. Right. School Days goes way back. And, you know, as a film student uh, and, and, and graduating in 1984, it was like Spike was sort of the launch of hope, you know, for with She's Gotta Have It and what, what took place, right? And, uh -huh. uh, and you were there from the beginning and 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 you have been there throughout um talk about there's one i'm, I'm going to bounce around here a little bit because there are a few things that i'm i'm blurry about going back to that time and i i don't know if i have the right fact or not but there's somewhere it's there there's a statement that you worked at films incorporated you were like a a a, a part of films either films incorporated or first run features sorry yeah sure i was one that uh, i was one of the founders of first run features one of the okay. and i was the, and i was the first president okay so this is fantastic because you know that company i it, correct me if i'm wrong used to deliver prints to film societies at universities am i right or was that films of, of course yeah you yeah we're a distribution company and that's what and that's how you distributed films then it was the early 80s that's right yeah 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 you I, had to get millimeter prints and send them out i started off in in when i was in school as, as a film student i was also uh, a carbon arc 35 millimeter projectionist i used to project in a in an old theater at my university and then later for work at the somerville theater uh which was a calendar a repertory theater and, and I used to see some stuff coming from Films Inc, first swank, first run features. But you were at first run. This is back, is what, when is that in relation to when you made War, War at Home? Well, I made the War at Home in the late 70s. Right. You know? okay. Okay. And, and then the, and the film took off when we finished it, you know, at the end of 79. And, um, and, you know, there wasn't really distribution for independent American films. Not, there really wasn't at that moment in time. You know, um, some people were distributing their own. Some, some things got picked up like Harlan County, but most films, I mean, there were very few films that were being made by, by independent filmmakers. 
Um, there were so few of us. Uh, but um, you'd finish a film and there wasn't just a belief that these films could do anything theatrically. And my film, The Word Home, was one of those rare movies that just took off and, and had a theatrical life. Uh, and so along with uh, uh, a group of other filmmakers, we founded First Run Features. Oh. And, um, oh, you know, and when, it, I mean, we were, we were young and inexperienced and we didn't do the booking, yeah. Um, uh, we had Fran, this old great uh, booker doing our booking. Wonderful. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I think it came down to one day, somebody said, listen, we really gotta get serious here. I mean, one of us has got, be the president, you know, somebody step forward. And I think everybody else stepped back. You know? <laughs> wow. like, what a great story. I didn't know this part of your life, Barry. So for me, this is yeah. fantastic. Yeah. And around that time, you know, I met, I met this young, you know, film student, uh, Spike, Spike Lee. He was going to NYU. And, you know, I offered him a job to come in and work part-time, you know, to, to get those prints ready. Those prints that you got, Spike was getting those prints ready to send to people like you. That's fantastic. So Spike yeah. was working for you while he was in school at First Run Features. Yeah. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Wow, what a story. And, and how long did you end up staying as president? I was there for three years. Okay. And then I was just like, what am I doing? Okay. What am I doing? Okay. You know? I got, I got nominated for an Oscar and I haven't done anything for three years because I'm, I'm running this company. What am I doing? Am I crazy? You know, and, uh, you know, and I made them a deal. I made my partners a deal. I said, I will give you my stock in first run features on one condition. Nobody calls me about separate first run features again, ever for anything. Anything, anything, anything. I'm out. Wow. Yeah, because because I just it was just like I wasn't meant to be a businessman. I'm not even a good businessman, you know. Um, and you know, I was a filmmaker and now and I'm not making movies. So a story that I did not know. There you mm -hmm. go. Yeah, because I, I, I'm trying to rack my brain, but I, I, when I was in, up in Cambridge in the, in the mid-80s, there was a documentary filmmaker who I believe his films were all distributed by First Run. It's a guy called Ross McElwee. Oh, maybe. maybe. Yeah, great, great documentary. But in any case, fantastic. So then from there, now this young filmmaker that you have breaking down prints becomes the boss and you go to work for him. My boss, yeah. Well, that's really what it came down to, you know, you know, uh, you know Spike was doing stuff at, at, at school and I was doing some other things too. I did a um, half hour film. I, and the film, first film I really edited which was High Wire, which I co-produced and edited with Sandy Sissel. And about Philippe Petit, about a walk that Philippe Petit did in New York City. A I, really, very, very charming half hour film, really is, charming. Is that the one where he goes between the towers? Is that, no, not no, that. No, 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 no. It was one across to uh, St. John the Divine on okay, the Upper West right. Side. 
Wonderful. And um, and so you know, and 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 there's some of Spike's voice in that uh, in that film. Some of his laughter and some of his voice, because you know sometimes you know people were looking, you know, I, I, like what you know Felipe Petit is putting up this high wire, you know, and saying things, and so we were the camera was too far away for you to hear it. So Spike voiced some of those voices, um, you know, and I would help him out on, on anything he asked me to do, and he asked me to uh, to to do the uh, set up the really the tracks for the mix for She's Gotta Have It. But I also went over to his house a lot, you know, just to give my two cents on the cut for uh, She's Gotta Have It. And then he got stuck on one scene. Um, he had, it just wasn't working for him. And he said, you know, can you, can you, can you try something? Can you recut this? You know, and so, so uh, I recut the uh, one scene for him in the film. And so you cut us. You cut that one scene, and 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 she's got to have it. Got it. No. And, and then he asked me to do school days. Right. And that. And so let's talk about because that was a that was a big jump. I mean, school days. Now I think Columbia Pictures. I mean, not just for for you, but for for both of us. Both of us was a big jump. It was a launch. Yeah. So he had to he had to do what not everybody is able to pull off, which was to stand behind the man he wanted. So he stood behind you. And you end up cutting school days. You know, I, the thing about it is, is um, I don't think I don't think anybody realized I wasn't an editor. I don't think anybody at the studios realized. Oh wait a second, he's your buddy. You just hired your buddy to edit this. You know, this whatever it was. Three ambitious Ambi ambitious. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's, and, uh, let's, let's get clear about what it was an ambitious a musical a, a musical yeah one of the things that really drew spike and i together when we were really young was our love for broadway music because we both love them and um you know i remember i i went into i asked somebody because i you know i I'd, I'd worked with 16 millimeter uh but but I never worked with 35 at that moment. And school days was going to get shot in 35. So um, I, I asked somebody, do you know anybody who has a 30, working in a 35 millimeter editing room right now? And so they said, yeah. And they set me up. And I went up to a place that was up in the Brill building. Yep. Right. You've been in many, many no, times no, yourself. Know it well. And so one of the editing rooms there. And, and this, this first assistant was showing me through the the ropes, uh, you know, and I would say things like, oh, look at that. So 35 millimeter sound, the wind of that is completely opposite. You got to flip it like that to go through the head. And, and, and what are the white, the white boxes and the, the, you use red Sharpie for, as you would say, sound and, and the black Sharpie for picture. Okay. And, and how, and, and how and do you get this all on And grease right? And, and, Finally, she said, you know what? I misunderstood. You know, somebody told me that you were the editor of the film. Um, and I said, yep, I am. And she was like, oh, brother, this movie is in trouble. <laughs> this movie is, if you're the editor, this movie is definitely in trouble. 
you know. And I remember the I, I, I remember the looking, you know, at their organization of these boxes and thinking, I don't know, I, uh, you know, I don't like what they do here and here and here. And, and so my my editing rooms always had a different, slightly different kind of organization to the boxes. Um, and uh, and people sometimes people would come into the, my editing room and say, oh, look at that. You know, who taught you how to do that? And, you know, and I said, I, I made it up myself because I, I like it better, you know? So, you know, you know even, even, even the war at home, you know, there was things that we were so green at. I mean, I hadn't gone to film school, you know? My partner hadn't gone to film school. We were green, green. And um, we didn't even know that you were supposed to put in coding you know, this little code uh, for the sound and the film could find that, a way to sync it back up. Right? Coding from the punch on the, on the track and the work picture. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right. Head and tail, you used to get edge coding and those numbers matched up yep. throughout the process. Yeah, okay. I mean, we didn't know. I didn't know. So when we got to New York to, uh, to set up the mix, right? The <laughs> said, uh, um, so, so let's talk about, you know, your system and your organization and your codes. Well, like, mm, you're losing me. I, I don't know what a code is, but you code for what? And they began to realize pretty soon, oh my Lord, these idiots did not code anything. Nothing's coded, right? <laughs> Nothing was coded. Nothing was coded. And so they were like, Oh, you know, but you know, that's, that was it. You know, you just, you stumble through and, and you learn things, you learn, you know. Oh my God, did you yeah. ever. For me, it was, it was, I was, had been from the very beginning on the job training, except for one thing. There was nobody there to train me. Nobody, nobody around to train me. I, you know, I had to figure this stuff out. You know, and you were working with 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 cutting mounds and mounds of film and trimming yeah. with with magnetic track, uh, yeah, magnetic, track. Mm -hmm. and then and then multiple tracks laid out to design the sound with slug yeah. in between. Because I mean, I yeah. used to cut on a Steenbeck. I mean, yeah. I started in, in, in film myself, yeah. and you know, so I mean, but I I actually studied it at school. You you did this without film school yeah ah! i did it without studying you know just figuring it all out wow yeah yeah that's fantastic and then through that process i'm assuming although you had to be self-taught on every film there's an assistant editor someone who sings dailies so you did have a little bit of a crew right yeah absolutely absolutely there was a crew you know um and I don't think, though, that my first assistant editor on school days was any more, I don't think she was any more experienced than me. Oh, my God. I don't think so. Don't <laughs> think so. But, we, but we figured this stuff out, you know? Yes. We figured it out. And, uh, and you know, got everything in sync. And, yeah, you know? and had to lay out all the tracks. Uh, uh, on a flatbed, one at a time, and set up. Yeah, the, I, and it was a steam deck for me too. I, I like steam decks. Yeah, I worked on a steam deck, and you had to do those those cue sheets. I remember 
I was cleaning out my attic, I don't know how many years ago, and I found my old Duart Film Lab cue sheets from mixes. And you used yeah. to, you know, write down each, oh, yeah. each yeah. of the 24 yeah. tracks and where yeah. the marker they stopped on and you sat with the mixer and they, they set up the faders for them all. And yeah. the, uh, you had to organize. Around that time, I, I took a short job um, at CBS. A uh, show, I can't even remember the name of the show. It was a magazine show. And it was not for very long. Uh, and uh, there was a guy there, an assistant editor. Um, his name was Robin. I remember Robin's last name. But he was full-blooded Cherokee Indian. And one day, Robin says to me, have you ever thought about your style? Your style as an editor? And I said, yeah, you mean like jump cuts? and that, that, that? He goes, no, uh uh he said, you know, people are going to sit behind you and you got to develop a style. So that just watching you, they're impressed. And I thought, Robin is right. Robin's right. You know, and I'm telling you, from that point on, I worked on my style. And if you had walked in, because I was worked on an A plate, two pictures, right? Yeah, yeah, that's the way to go. And, and uh, if you walked in and you watched me on the steam back and they played steam back, I was impressed. Really? People, so many people were just impressed with me just because I worked on my style, you know? I mean, I, I could do, you know, I throw, throw, you know, a piece of film around my neck. Da, 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 da. It was just, I had this thing going all the time, you yeah. know, uh, like a pizza maker or something, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, I might not be any good at all as an editor, but I really look good. <laughs> I you know? love it. Yeah. Love so it. thanks to Robin, I had style. On, on Avid's, you know, you just, you just don't have that ability to show off your uh, dexterity, your physical. Um, you can't impress the same way. No, right? Mm -mm. I'm trying to think of the cutoff for you. That would have been by the time you got to what, like maybe Malcolm X or Crooklyn. No, 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 no. We were even later than that. I mean, Spike and I, Spike and I went kicking and screaming into that digital age, kicking and screaming. You cut on film. Yeah, we just didn't want to do anything else. Uh, I think maybe the last. I know that the last film that we really cut in film was Summer of Sam. Okay. Okay, and the last film that we cut that had any film in it was the very end of 25th Hour. God. That black and white sequence. God. Um, it's not really black and white, but. Well, I don't think that was the last because I worked with you guys on Inside Man. That was shot in film, bro. It was shot in film, but we edited digitally. Oh, no, you edited digitally. Oh, you're saying prior to that. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. editing in film. And, we're still cutting in film. You know, uh, yeah, and you know, as far as we felt, you know, both of us, that we were going to go to our graves cutting in film, you know? Yeah, but yeah. That was just not possible at a certain point. Just not of possible. Of course, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, a lot, a lot of films with, with, with Spike Lee, a lot of stories. Mm -hmm. um, tell me, as a, as develop in, in the years of, of working with him, what what is your collaborative style and, and how do you guys work together? What is your 
what is your flow for for cutting for spike and 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 how engaged does he get in during the process once they've wrapped production is he in every day how does it work what what, what no he's not he, he no no um really comes down to we see all dailies together uh even in documentaries we see all the dailies together you know and we talk uh about about you know what to do and how to use it you know um and what he likes and what he doesn't like and then he allows me to get in and cut so he can come back when it's put together, you know, in a tight way, because I don't, I don't assemble, I cut. I just cut from the get-go. Right. Um, quite frankly, it also comes from not having ever worked for anybody else. I didn't even know what an assembly was. I just didn't know. I think, you know, you get this footage, you cut it, you know? Cut scenes. You cut scenes, you, you know? You, you cut it together. Oh. Uh, uh, just didn't, for neither one of us didn't make any sense to do anything else. And so neither one of us have ever done anything else. So, um, so you know, I cut it and, and, then, and then he comes in and we start reworking it, reshaping it from what I've cut. You know? Yeah, and, 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 and in the case of, of the, the types of stuff you've done with Spike, it's included pretty much everything, right? Because you've done documentaries, you've done feature films, done some episodic. Did you do any of the commercials? You must have done music videos as well. Early, early on, I did uh, some of the Nike commercials. Uh, you know, um, um, yeah, and some nice Nike commercials. Some, yeah, some that, that people really remember, you know, with Michael Jordan. Yeah, um, you know, but um, you know, and we've done music videos. Yeah, you know, like Michael Jackson, and and we've done. Uh, I mean, we've done all sorts of things. Right, but all on the documentary side, I would think that the real building block, because the docs are created in a cutting room without, you know, I mean, there's a shape to it, but the, I mean, it's almost like you're you're the captain when, when you're editing a doc, right? Well, you find it, they say that you find the documentary in the editing room. The editing room, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and you've done quite a few of the levy, when the levy broke. The I didn't actually do it when the levy broke. I but, didn't. You did, but you did Bad 25. I did Bad 25, I right. did. And we're working on something else right now. So, um, you know, and uh, yeah, I mean, there, must, there was probably some other Docs along the way. You know? Sure, sure. And and in the in in the feature side, one one of the things that Spike became known for at the time that that Girl Six and Blockers and that whole and then he got Game and Summer of Sam. That whole stretch of time, he was working with cinematographers that were doing some very experimental cross processing and mm -hmm. skip leech work. So you were dealing with a lot of uh, a, a lot of a lot of variables in 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 the workflow. I mean, because it was the, the I remember. I mean, I was at the lab at the time. He was he was a wild man. Yeah, I mean, he was a wild man. Huh? Yeah, he was because because and, but it was but but they me, were trying something. They wanted to try stuff. That's what I'm saying, it was beautiful. I mean, for yeah. me, the adventure. I mean, I had I had Ellen on, on the show. I mean, we talked about it, but the adventure was to work with. With, with cinematographers like Malik Saeed and 
course, Maddie Libetzik and Ellen Curris yeah. and, and people that were willing to, to kind of, you know, push the edge. And you were on the receiving end of this stuff coming in. And uh, talk a little bit about the, the process and working with, 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 uh, uh, with the creative ideas behind that and kind of collaborating as a team with all of that. That must have been an exciting time. Well, yeah, I mean, I think so much of that, especially when you come down to the look of a movie, you know, it wasn't so much, you know, I mean, that was really between Spike and the DPs. Yeah, yeah. DPs, absolutely. You know, and, and so much of it, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I took a back seat because that's a, that's a whole other thing. I mean, sometimes, sometimes it's a matter of when you're working like that, uh, some footage might come in uh, very early on, almost as dailies, and and you have to flag certain things to say. Listen, I don't. I think this is this is not the look you're going for. You know, this is you know, uh, and, and then let and then let Spike and the DP look at it and then take it back to Technicolor, right? Exactly. And and, and you know, sit down with somebody and. And rework it so so that so that you're trying that you, you're not going to really get it yeah. until you until you're really at the finish and you're color correcting. But at least you want to be in the ballpark, you know. So I mean, I don't think beyond that I really had much of a role in that stuff, you know, except for flagging certain things. Right, because you you were seeing the stuff come in and having to match it up and yeah and communicating back to them and you're yeah. cutting during production obviously so. Yeah. yeah, so you're you're yeah. you're going all the way through. On the schedules that you worked on, were you were you able to put in a full twenty six plus weeks to do each of these, or was it did it have to go faster on all these films? Uh, I mean, we always had enough time. We always did, except for Black Klansman. Um, Black Klansman was the fastest of all of the films. Interesting. Yeah, it was. I mean. Uh, you know, I um, I showed Spike the ver my cut uh, of the film on January eighth, and it's amazing. And in this room that I'm in right now, and what what was amazing about that whole Jan from January eighth on, because it went to it, it was at it was at Cannes, you know, in in May. So, you know, February, March, April, May, four months later, we were in Cannes. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And so, and Spike, Spike had Terrence Blanchard come in and sit to watch the very first time he saw the whole film, which is unheard of. I've never seen Spike do that before. You know, he's always wanted, and for good reason, just to see the film by himself the very first time. Mm -hmm. I don't know why he, did he have a sort of sense, a second sense that that we were already in a place, but he, I don't know how because he hadn't really seen the cut. Yeah. And but right from the the jump, you know, Spike was like excited about the film and where the film was at even on January eighth. You know, and he wanted Terrence to start working on the score. Yeah, and we showed. You know, usually what you have is ten solid weeks of That's a director's director, cut. Director's cut, yeah. So it's 10, 10 solid weeks after January 8th, right? 
which really takes you to to late March, right? Yeah. I mean, and but we had to show Ken something, I think, by March 12th, mm. which means we really had to go in and and do a pretty good mix, you know, and not a real mix, but you know, pretty good mix. scratch mix mm -hmm. and some other things before before January, March 12th, which meant that we really had to show the studio, the film by the end of February. So, I mean, what is it for Spike in terms of his director's cut? Was it week six? Was it week seven of yeah, his no time. No time. Something like that. But Spike was like, let's go, let's do it, you know? And um, that's what we did, you know? Outrageous. And we, I think we actually, we locked the film. We locked the film. I think even before uh, the tenth week of the director's cut, I'm, I'm, I'm sure we did. I'm sure we, we, we locked it. We must have locked the film around week nine of the director's cut. And all that fast work uh, 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 yields a, a shower of nominations and a win. <laughs> Amazing. I mean, it all just came together. It came together nice. Came together well. You know, but it was fast. It was a fast, and it wasn't like it wasn't like um, the studio wasn't breathing down our neck. Uh, I think Spike felt from the get go, we can do this, and we will do it. And 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 when he saw the film on January eighth, he really saw, yeah, the film's already in that kind of shape that that uh, that we can make the schedule, and we can make camp. You know, and so. So yeah, we did. But otherwise, all the other films, you know, we had a normal, a normal schedule, you know, Absolutely. and uh, you know, did, you know, the, did the films as, as we felt that we, and we had the time to do them as we wanted. Right, which is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. In yeah. in Spike's style, uh, there are moments where the 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 character and the camera are dollied together and. Explain to me oh, yeah. who does this. This is just spectacular. Talk a little bit about some of that because he, he uses that as a tool quite frequently, right? Well, yeah, I mean, that floating shot, yeah. Double um, yeah, I mean, it feels like you're floating. Right. Uh, you know, and, 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 and in Crooklyn, they're upside, it's a floating shot, but they're, they're, they're upside down, you know, at one point, you know. The, the drug addicts um, and you know other times you know like it like in Inside Man where Denzel just goes flying you know I mean it's basically the same shot just very very fast you know otherwise you know it's it's, a, it's this otherworldly you know float um, yeah you know it's but, uh, yeah it, it, a great great sort of uh, uh, integrated technique. It's so beautiful mm -hmm. to watch. I agree. Um, so I, I noticed a film that I hadn't seen that you had, you had I think also directed the, the Tommy film. The, uh, the oh film. yeah, the Who's Tommy. Can, can um, you tell me about that? I'm sorry, I mean, I wanna watch it. I'm gonna see maybe, it, but, I, but uh, talk to me about that film. How did that come about? Uh, it's another directorial uh, project for you. Yeah, it was it was a 
film a documentary about the Who's Tommy made for Harvey Weinstein. Um, his wife at the time was one of the producers, uh, along with her sister. And, um, you know, somebody got an idea, I don't know who it was, to, to come to me and ask me if I would direct it, you know, not edit it. Right, no, no, you're the director. That's why I'm. That's why I'm and, just asking um, how that all came about. And you know, the film, the Tommy was. It had been 25 years since the album got recorded, and it was now coming to Broadway, so we could shoot um, the Broadway show. And okay, and then we had all other footage of of, of of the film that was shot in the 70s and and other stuff from around the time that they recorded the um the the album and and you know performed it on stage. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's, you know, it came out, it came out terrific, the, the Who's Tommy. Um, I haven't seen it in many, many years. I don't even know if you can see it anymore. I don't I know. know. It's not incredible how that happens too. Mm, yeah. yeah, yeah. But, uh, but, but, but it was, yeah, this was uh, something that you, you got a chance to direct and, and, uh, um, and an interesting story behind it, clearly. Yeah, the anniversary. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you know, getting to to to, to work with Pete Townsend on it was great. And you know, um, um, you know, it was. Um, it, it's an, too bad that nobody can really see it because, you know, it's it's a really good hour of. Uh, you know, something sort of a very entertaining doc, you know. Well, when, when the Metrograph reopens, we'll, 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 uh, we'll, we'll put in a bid for that. You're going to try and find it? I'll go find it. That, that'll be me. That'll be my job. You think that, you think Miramax still has it? Uh, uh, I would think if it, it, it would have gone into the hands of uh, the folks at, at, at Disney. And then well, Miramax, I guess, I mean, by, maybe, I mean. Is, is Miramax not existent anymore? I believe it exists as an entity. It went from the from the Weinstein brothers to Disney. Yeah, and, and then I don't know what happened. I kind of lost track after that. Huh. But, but well, I tell you, I mean, I, I mean, Harvey, Harvey was um, so gentle on that project because his wife was producing it. Interesting. He was a lamb. It was amazing. Wow. You know? Yeah. yeah, that's a story unto itself. Uh, yeah, I know what you mean. Because yeah, <laughs> I worked with him three times. You know? Yeah, of course. Yeah, and um, you know, and I'd seen him up close, and not and, and quite frankly, he was never he was never harsh to me. But man, I saw him harsh with so many people, embarrassingly harsh. You know, right, right, right. You saw some moments that were were we all have, I think we, we all have, have. all have that were hard to watch. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a story that I also was unaware of. So I was like to bring up other stories that I was unaware of. Uh, for uh, I, I think it's she's got to have it, and the MPAA, and your involvement. And yeah. I and I and I'm I'm sorry. I'm I mean I'm obviously you know I was you know the, a Spike Lee fan from the moment I saw the trailer of that film. So, but I. I didn't, 
I didn't know. Tube socks, the tube socks trailer. <laughs> the, tube, the tube socks trailer, yes. Yeah, yes. I yeah. found out on 14th Street. Great trailer. Fantastic. Brilliant trailer. I remember seeing that in in and at the movie theater in Harvard Square when I was still living up in Boston. I was like, who is this fucking who is this guy? Yeah. And I'm like, little did I know that this would be the year's fourth of my life and well much more so of yours so um uh but tell me what i i what happened i mean i know that there was an mpaa rating issue as there are on all films that come out right rx nc17 all kinds of craziness and what what's okay and what's not but what was the can you can you tell me the story of what happened and what you had to do to remedy it what was the scene that i cut the one scene I cut, and she's gonna have it, which was a sex scene between Greer, Greer and Nola. Greer is that model. And, and it was a shot that was right down onto a bed, right, her bed. And, um, and he, Spike had shot it in a way that he thought all the edits will happen in camera, right? And he didn't like it. And so he asked me, we cut it. And so I came up with a way to, to cut it to make kind of like two moments in, in this sex scene. Um, and one where like, they're, 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 I mean, basically it's black and white and so high contrast. They are almost silhouettes on this white bed. They really are. Uh, Cause he really pushed that. He really pushed the contrast. Um, and so you really hardly even see their nakedness because they are silhouettes, right? And, and the first part of the scene, they just go one side of the bed, one back and forth, back and forth, and back and forth, you know? And then they come apart and then they come back together. And I did this thing where they went around in a clock, you know? Um, I think Spike had this idea in mind that this would be all mixed up. And I just thought, no, no, let's just do it like this. And he liked it. And that's the way that the, the, that where we ended up and then he sent it to they sent it to get rated and that's the scene they kept getting bumped back and they said no 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 no, no. this scene is it's too uh it's too revealing yeah and i don't know what they were talking about because really these were two silhouette bodies you know and but I just think that they were really uncomfortable with uh, this young black couple having sex on camera. I think that's really what they were uncomfortable with. And so, you know, we kept recutting the scene, sending it out, and they kept coming back with uh, an X rating, you know? Um, and I think we needed an NC-17. Right. And so, and so finally we came down to it and said, okay, Tell us exactly these moments that are bothering you, you know? Because, I mean, they're, they're, they're saying all this stuff and we don't see what they have a problem, what, what, what problems they're having. You know, there's the parts of their body that are being revealed. We just don't see it, right? Just show us. This is the start mark from this point on by, by your footage count. Just tell us which, which shots here are a problem. So they did that and so, we, we replaced the shots with other moments. Uh, thinking, well, listen, this, this has gotta be okay. And so uh, the weeks go by, actually I think it's more than a month or so 
go by and um, the film gets released. I had just become a father two weeks before um, the film came out. And we had gone off to Pennsylvania for those first two weeks and came back to New York on the day that she's got to have it opens. And, you know, it's before cell phones, you know, it's 1986. I know. And I call Spike up and say, hey, yeah, I'm back in town. He goes, oh, thank God. You got to get up. You got to get up to the theater and cut half of that scene out. Because that's the deal we've made with the MPAA is that they have not given us an NC-17. And on the poster, it says NC-17. But they hadn't also responded to our last cut. And so they finally just, the deal was you, you cut out, you just cut out half of that scene, right? Whatever half of it is, cut it out. You know, they don't say as which. And so he said, you gotta go up there and do it. So I thought, yeah, I think I know which part to cut, you know? And uh, Ola Tunji uh, had done this drum beat to, to, to the scene. And uh, you know, uh, so I go up there and the film has already played two, two screenings and it's in the middle of the third screen. So, uh, uh, you know, the, the projectionist has been told, you know, about me coming up. You gotta go and in the I, booth, you gotta go in the booth. Yeah, I'm in the booth and the, that reel comes off that scene is in and I put it up onto, you know. The winders. Yeah, two of them. And uh, it's 35, so it's easy to see. And, uh, you know, there's a little light plate there and, and I go through and I find this where I want to cut halfway through that scene, cut it, go to the end, cut it, put that on the reel, put that reel in my coat. And, you know, that, you know, and then take those, uh, the, those, that back together, you know? But it's like um, back together, you had to splice what you- I had to splice it, yeah, and you know, double, double sides so it won't come apart in the projector, right? Of course. You know, and- uh, 20 minute reels, man. <laughs> yeah, and so, so I- I remember. So I remember the projectionists were like, what are you doing? <laughs> what, what, are you thinking, what are you doing? You're still editing this movie? I would, I would personally have been like, what is going on and how is this yeah. going to work for me? Yeah. And so, and for me also, you know that the sound is actually 18 frames ahead of the picture, right? Because of how it goes through the projector. That's right. And so I'm wondering, how is this going to sound? Let me, how is this going to sound? And so uh, I had to wait for the next projection of the film just to watch it. But Olatunji's uh, drum thing just was seamless. It just worked, you know, like that. And it just went right through. Wow. Now, I think it finally, for when you get it now, if you get the film now and the DVD, I think that scene has been restored. Completely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I cut, I cut, I cut down the, <laughs> after the third projection of She's Gotta Have It. <laughs> we were still editing. You know, but but if you're cutting it out and it's in release, it's in more than one theater. So ultimately, you had to go back and have the no, next it was only in one theater. Oh, it was okay. Yeah, it was only in one theater, uptown on like 66 and Broadway, I think. <laughs> I yeah, love it. It was only in one theater. 
But then it played, remember it, the films used to be like that. They would but it played around. Then that so I guess that print that you cut then moved to another city. Is that what it was? Or they made well, then, then we had to go into do art and we had to conform into art. And then Spike really wanted to make sure that the uh that the uh that the sound was okay. I don't even think we re remixed. I think he just listened to it and thought, well, okay, <laughs> you know, like that. It was okay. You know? He was okay without with just literally cutting the the optical track sound and and the and the negative. And, I think so. And, I don't remember going in and remixing and creating a new optical track yeah, for that reel. Yeah, but but we might yeah. have. We might have. I might be wrong about that. I mean, and, Spike in terms of music, Spike is a stickler because you know his his father was this terrific, great jazz musician. He grew up around great jazz, and so you know. There's, there's a couple of things that Spike is a real stickler for. And one of them is music. Yes. Yeah. I mean, a stickler. So I can almost not imagine that we didn't go and remix that. The second thing is spelling. His mother was a teacher. Yeah. You know, and for him, you know, if you misspell something, <laughs> he's like, he is just so disgusted. <laughs> it's like, what is the matter with you? Why, why, why are we, you know, you can't spell, <laughs> you know? I like you that. You can't spell, you can't look it up. You know? I like that. Yeah. That's so, a good, that's a good discipline. Yep. yep. And I agree with it. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, now here we are in the heart of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And, 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 and you and I are film veterans from the film era and digital veterans from the digital era and movie theater goers. Um, I, I can't do an episode of, of my podcast without talking about the cinema, even though in New York City, of course, they've been closed since the, the lockdown. Um, what do you think? Uh, 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 I, I get, I get a, the different Vegas odds, but uh, uh, recently I've been getting a lot of uh, statements feeling like uh, the movie theater business is going to come back bigger than ever. Wow, that would be great. That would be great. Um, I certainly would like that, you know, and quite frankly, what I would really like, and it isn't only because, you know, I'm a dinosaur, uh, but I would like that some movies could come out the way, you know, you used to release movies uh, 30, 40, 50 years ago, you know, or even longer, uh, where you, you came in maybe in one cinema in New York and one cinema in LA, and maybe one cinema in Chicago or something, you know, and, and you let a movie build, because certain movies have to build. There are certain things that are just blockbusters. There's no reason in the world to do that with uh, a Star Wars movie. Right. Or, or Harry Potter. I mean, just get that out in as many theaters as possible. But let's say a smaller, a smaller movie. I just saw this terrific film called The White Tiger, right? That film is so great. And, you know, it's the kind of film that, that, that for me, you know, it should go into one cinema two cinemas, you know, and build, build from there and build over months, 
and they're and they're also in theory as i've had many distributors and people from the the distribution business on i think there ought to be a 90 day window i mean where where it can't play anywhere else except the theater and that seems to be something that has gone away yeah that sure has that sure has you have unless you can just really completely control it i mean just have some patience because because you know there was many movies that found an audience that way back in the day yeah you know, she's got to have it being one of them absolutely uh, you know a film that you just came out in one theater and people saw that and and, and the word of mouth just was great you don't have to have to do this crazy you know we, we got to be in a thousand theaters or you know or, or we're nothing you know it just exactly. all at you once know, you, know, you know so so well i mean i hope you're right i hope you're right that it's bigger than ever you know I, maybe I, I maybe people are just as, you, as i think you're implying people are just going to be so hungry for it you know and there's nothing like you know like my movie son of the south i was able to show the film uh three times on a big screen before the pandemic hit. Gorgeous. And one was in LA when we were finishing the mix. Then one was in New York, just to see, I just see like how people respond. And one was in France, I put in uh, French subtitles to see how it would play in France. Uh, all three audiences, I mean, the response to it was so good and so powerful in a way that I don't think, I think maybe you can get it by yourself. But if you're with an audience, you will really get it. You'll the film plays, film plays in a different way, and you know, and and I think that there's a lot of great television made these days. And yeah. I understand it's not completely called television anymore when it's on Netflix or Amazon, you know. But I still feel like it's television. Yeah. Um, you know, but there's this other thing. There's a cinematic experience that I'm really a part of. And that, and that, and that, and that I want to do, you know, yeah, exactly. you know, um, not that, not that I'm against working in television. I've not worked in it very much. I've only edited pilots. I've never worked really on a series. Right. Um, so, so, but for me, I mean, that's the thing that gets me up in the morning is, is a movie that's going to end up on the big screen. Oh yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and apropos of that, now that your, your current project is, is out and about and playing, uh, 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 what, what, what's, what's next for, for Barry Brown? Well, as I say, you know, Spike and I are doing something together right now that will take me, uh, you know, until at least to the middle of this year. And I have another film uh, that I wrote uh, called The Provider. It's a dark fantasy. We're going to shoot it in Malta. And uh, nothing like, not another kind of a, not any kind of a film that I've ever even worked on or edited, you know? And certainly not nothing that I've ever written before. Uh, and this just, you know, it just came out of me in one gush, really, for three days. And I said, okay, let me go for it. And uh, 
you know, it's, 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 um, yeah, it's a very surprising story and it is fantasy. Nice. And it is dark, you know? Nice. And, and Malta is, is a great place. I, I actually said it in Malta and this is just this, and then Malta just has this spirit that I want, you know? Um, you know, it has a, it has a, you know, ancient history, a long history. No, I've heard it's a remarkable place. I've never been, but I, yeah. I, I've, I've had friends that have told me about it. Yeah. It sounds spectacular. So you've obviously spent time there. A little bit, a little bit, you know, I was there in July scouting. Uh, I was able to go just as it opened up wow. and, you know, and, and then, uh, and then came back to, to the U.S. to work with Spike. And, and you guys have been uh, uh, in the editing room or still in production on what you're doing? No, we're in the editing room. Yeah. No. Finishing yeah. up. Got yeah. it. Got it. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, Barry? Charlie? What? A, yeah, that's the, yes. <laughs> what a pleasure. Great to talk well, to you. Good talking to you, too. And... Uh, I think we could talk for another two hours, but I think we did a pretty good job here. Yeah, that's right. People will say, oh, but these two guys never shut up. <laughs> Thank All you right. so much, Barry. Thanks for doing it. Thank you. Thank you. Good to talk to you, man. Good talking to you, man. All right, later. Bye. Bye.